encouraging message from the Word. Now, our next meeting is on Sunday, June the 12th at 5 p.m., and we would love for you to come check it out. Hey, that's going to do it for our announcements today. If you want to know more about Victory Church, then take one of our brochures from the Connection Desk, or you can check us out online at www.victorywired.com and like our Facebook page. Now, please welcome Pastor Michael as we get ready for another great message from the David series, Poet, Warrior, King. (laughs) I get tickled every time I hear him say, we meet. Now, he's not part of Victory Chicks, okay? (laughs) Just want you to know that he's not not, going to be there. Uh, uh, In case you wonder what happened in that awkward moment, Sarah wasn't in the back to push the button. That's what happened. So we're, we're so grateful for all of these amazing youth that we have serving in a lot of different capacities and helping uh, teachers' aides and helping actually teach classes and leading children in worship. Amazing things happening in all of our areas of ministry through the youth. And we're thrilled to have them participating uh, because <coughs> their lives matter. They count. They're our future leaders. And we're looking that, to see God do great things through them. Somebody say amen. Good morning. I'm, I'm glad to see you today. We are finishing this series. This is number two series. The series, whole series is Poet Warrior King 2. Uh, this is the seventh message in the second series. We're going to hit the pause button after today and pick it up again with eight more in October and November where we will finish up the life of David and go through the time when he uh, sleeps with the fathers, what the scripture says, when he li- lays down to rest and then his sons and his sons' sons take up the legacy of his dynasty. <clears throat> um, next Sunday's a special time together. We have one service. You need to be here what time? 10 a.m. All right. If you come at 9, you can help us warm up with the worship. Uh, if you come at 1045, uh, you will have missed most of the service. So hope you'll be here. Uh, when we combine the services, we know we have people traveling, but it will always be a wall-to-wall, packed-out situation. So uh, one service, we'll have a little bit more of extended worship uh, Pastor Jeremy's going to be preaching, so look forward to hearing him next Sunday. Uh, the next Sunday is uh, Chip Bueller will be back with us again, uh, bringing a very, very important, timely, prophetic message for the church, uh, especially since we're breaking ground this year. Uh, met with, I met with the architect this last week, and we're meeting with our team building team Monday night uh, to see what is happening, and they're actually starting the working drawings, and so we've got something now to go to the banks start the process of finding a general contractor. So please, please, please be in prayer for us. Uh, Once all of these things are kind of the hoops are jumped through and the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, then we'll be announcing a groundbreaking time. And we're excited about that. So please don't, don't, because we haven't mentioned it a couple of, you know, last couple of weeks because we've sort of been in a limbo waiting uh, to get some things finished. Uh, Please be praying because it's going to be a great season Sometime this summer we'll break ground. I'll give you that. Okay, we're not putting a date on it yet because we don't know specifically exactly when. So um, please pray um, that Sunday. Then Chip will be here bringing a very important word. The next Sunday, Pastor Haley is going to kick open a new series for the summer called Heroes. Why be ordinary? And uh, she's going to start that on the 12th, and then I'll be preaching the next Sunday. So we're going to be sharing this series throughout the whole summer. So it's going to be a really fun, very faith-building, encouraging summer here together. We know a lot of you will be traveling, vacations, summer camps for the kids, and all that. But when you're in town, please join us because we're still going to be here worshiping God and just looking to Him to, to speak to our hearts and give us some encouragement and some direction and faith for the future. How many have faith for the future? Say amen. All right, stand to your feet with me one, one more time, please, this morning. 
the title of the message today is called The Sure Mercies of David. Say that with me. The Sure Mercies of David. How many of you are thankful that the mercy of God is sure in your life? How, how many of you know that if his mercy wasn't sure, you probably wouldn't be alive and be here today? Thank God for his mercy that's gotten us out of some real serious problems in the past and uh, totally turned around and transformed our jacked up lives. And so we're thankful for the mercy of God. The text is found today in the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. We have two verses and I want you to look for that phrase. The title of the message is in the scripture. Let's read together. Here we go. Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even, there it is, the sure mercies of David. Next verse, behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. God says David is going to be three things. What are they? A witness, a leader, and a commander. He's a picture of Jesus who is the fulfillment of all those three. The witness of God's promise, his mercy, his grace, his goodness the leader to lead us into a whole new and living way, and the commander, the king. He is, his word is his bond, and he, his word it comes true. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Amazing God, cornerstone, the, the joy and the lifter of our heads. Lord, thank you that you're our comforter and our encourager and our strength and our shield and our buckler and our provider Lord, our, our healer, our redeemer, our justifier, multitudes of words that none of them in, in totality can, can describe the greatness of your gifts, your benefits, your, your, your pleasure that you pour out upon us. We, we acknowledge today our desperate need for you. I need you, Lord, and I ask you, Father, to move through this service and through my voice, through my mouth. I consecrate my thoughts to you in this moment. I give them to you and set them apart for this purpose, and that is to deliver the weight of the prophetic word to your people. We are here on mission. We have a purpose. We are called on mission. We are sent to the Delta to take the, the life-giving message of Jesus Christ to this community. God, charge us today, challenge us, correct us, adjust us, encourage us, strengthen us. All of these things we ask for your word to do. We'll be careful to give you praise. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Last Sunday I shared a probably three-in-one message. It, I, I got so just exploded on the inside. It just mushroomed when I began to talk about the Tabernacle of David. And let me just say, that's one message in this whole series on the life of David, blown out kind of a larger macro picture showing David as the type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. The Tabernacle of David is a very specific period where God is restoring something to Israel. Um, David's first act as king, having, having reigned as king in Judah for seven and a half years and then was anointed king over all of Israel together, not just a couple of the tribes, but over all of Israel, total little, a little in excess of 40 years. Uh, the first thing that he did once Israel recognized that it was he who the Lord had anointed to be the witness, the leader, the commander of the people of God. 
his decision was to send out a letter and invite the Levites and all the people of Israel and bring the Ark of God back to Jerusalem, which 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles 13.1 says had been neglected during the reign of Saul. And you remember, just to review briefly, we have the whole setup on Shiloh with the tabernacle of Moses with all the furniture depicting the blood sacrifice and the washing of water, the, the holy place where everything is covered in gold. It's brass in the outer court, gold in the inner court. Speaking of the divine nature upon us and the, 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 the light, the candlestick, the showbread, the fellowship, the, the golden altar of incense, the prayers and praise. And then there was this little tiny room 10 by 10 by 10, a cube called the most holy place or sometimes referred to as the holies, the holy of holies or the holiest of all. But it was missing what it was supposed to have and that was the presence of God. The ark was gone and so David said, let's bring back the ark. So that's the review from the whole thing that we did last week and that thing just exploded on the inside of me and I probably preached three messages in one. Uh, it was a lot of content and I apologize for that. I, I, let me just tell you, this right here is the actual textbook that I taught in Bible school in North Carolina. And that's just on the Tabernacle of David. Look, look how huge this is. Now these are, are scriptures that substantiate the concepts of what this whole new dimension, this whole new thing that David was doing. Because when David went and got the ark, he didn't restore it to the Tabernacle of Moses. He, he basically went down to, to Bass Pro Shop, bought a big party tent, and he just said, everybody come. Moses was all about exclusivity. David's all about inclusivity. Moses says basically a naturally born tribe of Levi are the only ones who can get into this and only the high priest can go into the holiest of all once a year. But David brought that very thing that everybody else died in front of. He brought that into an open tent and invited men from every tribe, not just Levi, but women as well, and children who actually entered into a whole new dimension of all kinds of worship, which the very middle heart of the Bible, the book of Psalms, if you have a real leather-bound Bible, not just an electronic device, but you have a real leather-bound Bible and you just open it up to about the very middle of the book. Uh, yeah, i got to just adjust a little bit. I was a little bit to the right. I ended up in Jeremiah. Uh, but the middle of the book is Psalms because the heart of the Bible is worship. The very heart of a relationship with God is worship. And David is responsible for writing most of these Psalms. And, and when you go through them, you can see that there's a superscription on many of them to the chief musician or to the choir master. And he even gives instruction upon strings or with horns. And he's actually telling them how he wants this 24-7, eight hours at a time, sessions of professional paid musicians who were there at the plain out just ark of God in an open tent on Mount Zion, the highest elevation in all of Israel, speaking of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There were all of these musicians who took eight-hour shifts worshiping before the presence of God. And David laid out what was biblical in this whole new picture, this new thing God was doing, because there was no singing in the tabernacle of Moses. But that's what it's all about in the tabernacle of David. It was animal sacrifices and blood shed daily over there. But when David set this one up, he made one massive sacrifice, and then he said, it's finished. Who else said it's finished when he hung on the cross? Jesus. So the, the blood's been shed. You have access now. It's not just 
the veil rent like it was on the cross, but there's complete entrance into the veil. You can go in there and be in the holiest of all, in the presence of Almighty God. We've taught now that the ark is not a box that we're all seeking after, but the ark is Jesus. Jesus is what we're seeking after. Somebody say amen. Okay. So when we begin to understand this, David gives us a worship manual in the very middle of the Bible where he, he prescribes for us biblical principles on how we're to worship God. And there are three dimensions, with the mouth, with the hands, and with the whole body. Everybody say, with the mouth. Okay, how do we praise God with the mouth? We are to lift up our voices and extol God. We're to sing praises to Him. The Bible says, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. And every one of those are Hebrew words, which are, are, are basically uh, very specific descriptors of, of the way that we're to praise God. One of them is Tehillah. I didn't say tequila, I said tequila. <laughs> it'll better, it's better than tequila too. Tequila is wild, exuberant praise that is unrestrained and literally abandoning what anybody else thinks. When you look at these terms, the, uh, everybody in all of Christianity uh, accepts praise with the mouth, but they want you to stand there and look like that you've been embalmed Or maybe sucking on a persimmon and baptized in pickle juice, maybe. Uh, and certainly, be still, don't do anything with your hands. But when you read the book of Psalms, you find out that, that David lifted his hands. And he told the people, lift up your hands in the holy place. He said, oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Mm -mm -mm -mm. So there was, there was some rhythm. And zamar, Hebrew word for using the fingers to play a musical instrument. I'm doing it like a guitar, but it was probably more like a harp, like this. <laughs> and, and, and so all of these different words that David uses, he gives us a prescription for a picture of what God is going to do in the New Testament ministry in the church of Jesus Christ. It's a new thing. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, God's doing a new thing. <laughs> and you know, every time God does a new thing, the folks that are in charge of the old thing don't like it. I didn't preach this part in the first service. This is the free part. <laughs> Every time a new move from God comes, see, this is what happens. I get up here and, I, and all of a sudden I see a rabbit and I go run and chase it. I got to be restrained. I did great. I met my time though, Pastor Haley. I did so good first service. Say it, didn't I? Yeah, I'm, I'm just teasing her. Um, and so God sets up this whole new exciting way not just in singing and shouting and proclaiming and extolling the good things of God with our mouth, but lifting our hands and playing an instrument and clapping and, and all of these. And he, he doesn't just stop there. He says there's another dimension uh, of not just mouth and hands, but with the whole body where we, where we literally don't care what anybody else is doing. I just sense the presence of God is so strong that I'm just going to bow before him and I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to... I, I'm actually even going to end up flat on the floor and I'm going to lie prost, prostrate before the Lord. And I'm going to cry out to God and seek the face of the Lord. And just whatever I can do, I, He is so holy, I, I just I have to get as low as I can before Him because His greatness and His goodness and His mercy. And, and He lifts me up and He strengthens me and He pours out His blessing upon me. And all these ways that I, I do the different acts of worship, not to be seen. I do this stuff at, by, my and by myself on my patio and in my house. And, 
and, and I do stuff there I don't do here because I've danced before the Lord and, 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 and left that man up there is really trying, isn't he? <laughs> and I just rejoice before God. I, I love the Lord and I love his presence and I love when I sense him come into the room and just wrap his arms of love and blessing and mercy around me. And David gave us a picture of all this really new stuff that nobody was doing down at the very proper first church of the tabernacle of Moses. The only thing is they had the best building and a well-funded priesthood and the finery to dress in and all the furniture and the accoutrements of religion. But everything was there except God. There was no ark. There was no presence of the Lord there. But yet over here on a hill... In Jerusalem, on Zion, David the king, somehow God, God's blessed what he's done. It's crazy. Nobody's ever done this kind of thing and gotten away with it. But David has the favor of God on his life. And David had a revelation of one who was coming, Jesus, who was not just concerned about every religious I being dotted and every T being crossed and only doing this for the Jewish people or the nation of Israel, but God knew that He put into David's heart that the heart of God Himself was going to be for the whole earth, which would include all of the Gentiles over the rest of the planet. Somebody say amen. amen. And thankful to God that He did because had He not done that, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't enjoy this relationship that we have now knowing that God is our Father and we are His children. You're His daughter. You're His son. He is your Father. Hallelujah. Amen. That changes everything because how many of you know when God's on your side and you've got God, you don't need anything else. Put your hands together and give Him praise this morning. Hallelujah. So David sets up this whole new way of basically doing things and it's a picture of the New Covenant, a picture of the New Testament. Listen as I read the text once more from the NLT, New Living Translation. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant. Everybody say everlasting covenant. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. King James says the sure mercies of David. Everybody say unfailing love. We sing that song here. It says, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. How many of you know that there ain't anything you can do that's so bad that'll make God love you any less? And you can't have such a good week that you're just so proud you're going to come to church and you know that it's going to make God love you more because there's nothing you can do that'll make Him love you any more than He does right now. Come on, somebody. It's not about anything we do or don't do. It's about what He has done and already finished. And the love of God is unfailing. He says, see how I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations. One thing. Say this with me. One thing. The Lord, so read it out loud. The Lord is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Read it again. The Lord is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Point number one. God has historically revealed himself through the principle of covenant. God has historically revealed himself through the principle of covenant. It's like looking on someone's Instagram, you see a whole gallery of snapshots. The word covenant is synonymous with testament. When we say the Bible is made up of two testaments, literally we're saying there are two covenants, an old covenant and a new covenant. Better said, a covenant natural and a covenant spiritual. A covenant earthly and a covenant heavenly. A covenant 
temporal or temporary and a covenant eternal. Everybody say everlasting. Okay, now this is what I want you to grasp this morning. Inside the old covenant, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 6, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, all the way through Mal- Malachi. Somebody said Malachi, the Italian prophet. <laughs> Genesis through Malachi. 39 books is our seven covenants. God reveals himself seven different times. He gives a snapshot. God puts a picture in his Instagram gallery for us to look at. The first one is in Genesis 1, the Edenic covenant. Everybody say Eden. God created Eden. He made it all, put it together, and before he put the man and woman down into it, everything was already finished. Everything they needed was already provided for them before they got there. God dropped them down into a perfect environment with everything already provided for them. Walk around, till the ground. That rhymes. I didn't mean for it to. Um, Walk around, have, have a look, shake the trees. Everything that you need is here. Everything you can imagine, begin to put together and dream of for the future. The tools, the materials, the plants, the herbs, the animals. Everything here is your disposal. There's only one thing that's off limits to you, and it's that tree right over there. Leave it alone. And they broke the covenant with God. Genesis 3, God shows up after they've broken the covenant and God basically says, what's going on? Why are you hiding? Why are you dressed in those funny leaf garments you've tried to sew together? Uh, By the way, I can see your backside because they were aprons, okay? And so basically God says, you know, what's going on? They said, well, we were naked and we were afraid. He said, who told you you were naked? And why are you afraid? See, God knows what's happened. You know, anytime in the Bible God asks a question, it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to get you to get the answer. So God asks the question, they give the answer, and in that spot, while in that place, God made a promise to Adam's race. And he said, this one with which you're in strife, she will bear the seed of eternal life. And he makes a promise in Genesis 3.15. It's called the protovangel. Right there, it's the, it's the gospel in seed form. He says, the seed of this woman will bruise the seed of the head of the serpent. And so we see the, the, the promise in the, right there in the garden where Adam and Eve sinned. God, before they left, gave them a promise that he was going to send a redeemer. He was going to send the seed of the woman who would bust the head of the serpent. That's what Jesus did at Calvary. Somebody say amen. Go over a couple of chapters. God's disgusted with all the people on the planet. And he finds a man named Noah, and the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God caused it to rain, and Noah built an ark. And you know the story in Genesis 8 and 9, we have the Noahic covenant. God puts a bow in the sky. He said, I will never again destroy humanity or the planet with rain, with water. And so that was the Noahic covenant. So we're, we're not even ten chapters out of Genesis, and we've already had three covenants revealed, Eden, Adam, and Noah. We don't go with a couple more and God taps a man by the name of Abram on the shoulder and he changes his name and his wife's name, adds an aha to both of their names and we end up with the Abrahamic covenant which is a picture of the gospel to come because it was a covenant based on a promise that God would make uh, Abraham a blessing and he would bless him to be a blessing and through him all the families of the earth would be blessed through his seed. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. He has fulfilled that. So we move on from there and we have Exodus chapter 19 and 20. We have the Mosaic Covenant. Everybody say the law. So the law is given to us. It's all the restrictions. It's all the thou shalt nots. It's don't do this, don't do that. Make sure you cover that. 
and basically it just draws lines of demarcation and distinction. And it was supposed to point out a people who were already redeemed, not how to get saved or how to be part of the covenant because they were already in the covenant. They'd been delivered by the blood, the water, and the spirit when they left Egypt. So they're already in the covenant. God has never set the law for us to prove to Him that we can earn our salvation because nobody can keep it. It's perfect they, they didn't cry out in faith, even though they already, they forgot their identity and who they already were, already blood-bought, already saved, already set apart, already consecrated, and they got out there and got scared because they forgot who they were, and they didn't receive the law in faith to say, God, it's going to take something of you to even work this thing out. And so they made it something about legalism and self-righteousness. A few chapters later in Deuteronomy 29, we have the Palestinian covenant where God is basically saying, I want you to go into this land. This is what I'm going to lead you to do when you drive out all these enemies and you possess this land. That's six covenants already. We're just now through the first five books of the Bible. We're going to go over through about ten books and we get to 2 Samuel 7 to the Davidic covenant. And that completes, that's seven covenants now that God has revealed himself because the Lord is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. That's our one thing. Say it with me. The Lord is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Okay, and our first point was God has historically revealed Himself through the principle of covenant. So in the Old Covenant, it's actually made up of seven different ones. Seven is the, God's number of perfection. But all of these are going to be extended into and subsumed it's a big word which means absorbed into and enlarged. All of these promises that were made in Eden, those that were spoken over Adam, those that find their, their way back to Noah, a man who found grace thousands of years before anybody even knew the concept of grace. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How many are thankful for the grace of God? And then you got Abraham. All of that comes in and it's drawn into the new covenant which Christ is the head then you've got the Mosaic Covenant, the Law, and then you've got the Palestinian Covenant, and then you've got finally have the Davidic Covenant this morning. Now, let me just say this. Three things that I shared in the first service that I, I want you to grasp that I think are important. Somebody was praying once, asking God for justice because they were upset about what their enemies had done. And I said, you do yourself a favor not to pray for justice because justice is getting what we all deserved. And if I, had, if I got what I deserved this morning, I would be in hell right now. That's the truth. If I got what I deserved, I would be in hell. Justice is getting what we deserved. And the whole planet deserves to go to hell. Because we've all made idols out of everything. Now, mercy is what we're talking about today. The sure mercies of David. Mercy is when God cancels, he commutes the sentence. And it negates what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. How many are thankful for the mercy of God in your life? I'm thankful that there are times when I probably should have been dead on a highway and the mercy of God somehow showed up and a devil, a, a, a devil or whatever, I was meant to say an angel got knocked off the corner of my car because I got so close to the one in front of me in terms of nearly having an accident. And I'm thankful for the mercy of God in numerous times that I probably shouldn't even still be alive. But the mercy of God has extended to me. I didn't get what I deserve. Amen. 
And, and let me just tell you, when you've ever experienced that kind of mercy where you don't get what you deserve, you realize that, that it didn't cause you so wonderful, but it's just purely on the fact that a God looked down on you in your miserable, jacked-up state, and He said, I'm going to pour out my mercy on that one's life. The worst thing that I can do or you can do is just to get cocky or get familiar or take for granted what God has graciously poured out upon my life. But I want to tell you this morning, it's not just justice getting what you deserve or mercy not getting what you deserve because God doesn't stop there. God pours out something extra. He gives us grace. Everybody say grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. How many of you are thankful for the blessings of God that He's poured out on your life that you know you weren't good enough to earn them or ever deserve them? Thank God His mercy made sure you didn't get what you did deserve, but His grace showed up on top of it. The cherry on top of the, the, the whipped cream on the Sunday of your life. And he said, you know what? I'm not just going to commute your sentence. I'm not just going to push away your punishment for what you do deserve, but I'm going to pour out grace on your life that's going to absolutely astound you and everybody else around you. Come on. Are you thankful for that today? That's in the everlasting covenant that we have in Jesus that began back in this period called the sure mercies of David. Listen this morning. I want to grab... 2 Samuel 7, just a few verses. 2 Samuel 7. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I will dwell in a house of cedar, uh, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So David's talking about the tent, the tabernacle of David. Okay. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. How many of you know, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, if you know the Lord's with you, that's all you need right there. Doesn't matter what the doctor's report just said, the Lord is with you. Because if the Lord's with you, the healing comes with the healer, and the healer's with you. Doesn't matter what the bank turned you down on and the situation of your finances, because if the Lord's with you, He's the provider, and provision comes along with the provider. Come on, somebody. Do I need to preach this five or six different ways? Come on, whatever it is you need, reach out because if you know the Lord's with you, everything's going to be all right. Verse 4, But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling Verse 7, in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? He says, Now, therefore, verse 8, Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. It's out there where the sheep are. From following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. Verse 9, and I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Everybody say, wherever you go. And I love this. He cut off all his enemies. <laughs> you know what? When God's with you, you don't have to worry about what somebody said about somebody said to somebody else. And all your little enemies that are trying to tear you down. Come on, somebody. And I've been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. 
And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. How many of you know when you set your heart to do what's on the heart of God, God will do what's on your heart. You need a house? Then make sure you build God a house. Make sure that you get involved in creating a habitation. Prepare your heart for God to have a house to dwell in in your family. Don't be in strife all the time, bickering and griping and complaining and gossiping and all that kind of... God won't hang around that kind of stuff. Come on, somebody. Prepare God a house. When you, when you make Him a house, He'll show up to make you a house. Come on. I love it. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, now follow me. Everybody say a seed, a house, a throne, a kingdom. We've had all these things. This is the Davidic covenant. God is sending word to David right now through the prophet Nathan, and God is making promises to David. He says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14. I have two more verses. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity... I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Everybody say, everybody say but. but. Verse 15, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Everybody say sure. sure. Shall be made sure forever. Your throne, everybody say throne. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. The rest of the chapter, about 10, 11, 12 more verses, David is praying a prayer of gratitude about all these things he's heard about in this covenant. Second point this morning I want you to grab real quick. Number two, the tabernacle of David is governed by the Davidic covenant. This picture of this open tent where everyone can come where there's a whole new style of worship. This whole thing is biblical substantiation for why we do what we do here when we sing worship to the Lord. When we, uh, all, all week long, our lives, what we do in Actus, are supposed to be worship to God. But Sunday morning is a celebration time. We, we come together, we lift our hands in acts of surrender. We clap them in, in, in a time of joy and celebration. Maybe we bow before the Lord. Maybe we get a little excited and even have a little jig, you know, kind of do a little dance. And every bit of that's blessed. Seventy years ago, the rest of the church world thought that was only the Pentecostals that acted that way. And then the 1950s and 60s and 70s, we have the charismatic movement and Baptists and Methodists and Catholics and Presbyterians and Lutherans and folks of every different kind of Heinz 57 varieties of the denominational systems of men all start getting filled with the Holy Spirit and, and they're getting together in these massive stadiums of 40, 50, 70, 100,000 people worshiping God and just all kinds of everything that you see them doing. It's all described in the Bible. And that thing sort of, sort of turned it around. They kind of took this back to their denominational expressions. And the beautiful thing today is that you can go in most churches, you can go into the Southern Baptist Church today, and in most places you'll see someone lifting their hands and 25, 30 years ago, uh-uh, that was taboo. You don't do that. And now, instead of seeing that as a Pentecostal practice, they see it as a biblical practice. 
because it's all over the Word. It always has been. But for the most part, folk were scared because when Pentecost hit in 1906, it was pretty extreme and there was some crazy stuff going on with it. And so folks sort of just knee-jerked the whole thing and sort of threw the baby out with the bathwater. And what I want you to see today is whatever we do around here with all this exuberance and excitement, we want to do it because it's, it's grounded in the Word of God. And we want to do it because there is a blessing that comes from it and not because we're just attention-seeking or going to somebody else, hey, look at me and how I'm responding here. Because there is some of that. Anytime you get into a place and there's, there's freedom, and I want freedom, but freedom comes at a cost. Freedom means you have to be willing to kind of let people experience and learn, and sometimes there are going to be mistakes that are made. And so we want to carefully and gingerly bring correction, but we don't want to stifle the fire of the Lord. We want the presence and the praises of God to be in this place. And, and, and somebody said, yeah, but you don't want wildfire. And I said, well, yeah, I'd rather have a little bit of wildfire that I had to kind of put back, beat back a little bit, rather than to, to, to sit in here in, in a room where I had to raise everybody from the dead every Sunday morning. <laughs> Are you hearing me? You know, I, the, the whole point is not just to have a great theology and a beautiful fireplace of bricks, but no fire in it. And it's also not the other extreme of wildfire out here burning the forest down. But the balance is to have the word of the beautiful fireplace where we're grounded in truth, but also have the fire in the fireplace where we've got something alive and warm and we can cook some food and we can warm the house and we can be strengthened in the presence of God. Somebody say amen. Come on. Are you getting this? So the, the, the awareness is, is that David has brought something totally new, brand new, and God makes a promise to him along the way. There are nine things that I, I, I won't even even pretend to start talking about. They're listed there in the middle of your notes. The seed of David, the house of David, kingdom of David, throne of David, key of David, the scripture mentions, horn of David, the tabernacle of David, the sure mercies of David are the one thing I want to focus on in just the last seven or eight minutes and I'm finished this morning. But I want you to see as we close this message, my third point is this. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of of the Davidic covenant. Say it with me. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. I have just a few verses here. Read with me in Romans. Remember that Christ came... Don't read it out loud. I'm sorry. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the what? To the promises He made to their ancestors. Read on. He says, He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for His what? mercies. There it is. That is what the psalmist meant. So Paul starts building up this case where he doesn't just quote one obscure passage, but he's going to give us five different places in the law, in the psalms, and in the prophets. He's going to give us the testimony completely from the old covenant showing us how Jesus fulfills this. He says, He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for His mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. Next verse, And in another place it is written, Rejoice with His people, you Gentiles. Verse 11, And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise Him, all you people of the earth. Verse 12, And in another place, Isaiah said, this is it right here, the heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. 
They will place their hope in him. Now, I want you to see this is not David because in the time of David's kingdom, this was a Jewish-only, natural, national Israel over which David ruled. But God is basically saying all those promises that God made to David, it's going to extend to where it covers the whole earth through this one, Jesus Christ, because he is the heir to David's throne. Last verse, he says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you open your Bible to the very first page, the very first verse of the New Testament, this is what it says. Matthew 1, 1. Listen. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why do you think those two got pointed out? Those are two major covenants that, that come in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. When God made a promise to Abraham, what were the, all the promises about to Abraham? The land. Everybody say the land. As far as you look, I'm going to give it to you. When God made a promise to David, what were all the promises about? Everybody say the throne. Now this is the issue here, saints. Through Abraham... God has said, Paul grabs it in Romans 4 and he says this. He says, because of the seed of Abraham through Christ, that we would now be heirs of the world. Not just a little piece of geography on the far side of the Mediterranean Sea. Not just a place called Palestine. That's what Abraham saw. But now that covenant is extended into the new covenant and Jesus is called the seed of Abraham. So the promises that God made to Abraham now are fulfilled in Jesus. We just read it in, in Romans 15 verse 8. He says, Jesus was made to be a minister to the Jews so that God could assure everyone that his promises to the fathers were now confirmed. I love that. So all the promises that God made throughout all the whole covenant, every one of them are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus, you've got all the promises and they've already been fulfilled. Everything you need. Come on, it's all about Him. The, the Bible is not an owner's manual. The Bible is not a love story. It's not a love letter. The Bible is not basic instructions before leaving earth. All these things that we've been told. The Bible is a story and Jesus is the main character. It's all about Him. All over the book. David wrote in the Psalms, he says, Lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book. I've come to do thy will, O God. Everywhere you turn, you start to see that Jesus is all over that Old Testament. But it's a picture of one who's to come. Well, guess what, saints? We're not looking for one who was to come anymore. He's already come, and he's come in our hearts. Are you hearing me this morning? He is the fulfillment. What they had in the Old Testament that was natural, we have the spiritual fulfillment. What they had uh, as earthly, we now have as heavenly. What they had as temporary, we now have as eternal. The anticipation they look for, we have the realization. We're not wanting it. We're not looking for it. It's already ours. All of these things, they had the prophecy. We have the fulfillment. Are you following me this morning? Saints, what I'm trying to tell you, it's not some kind of secret formula or a mystery. It's all wrapped up in one simple word, and the word is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Put your hands together and give Him praise. There's so much in this, 
And there's so much scripture here that I encourage you. I put a little spot there that says, For further study of the Davidic covenant, see 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17, Psalm 89, Psalm 132. All that's there in your notes. But Jesus is the seed of David. Jesus is, has the house of David. That's the church. Jesus has the kingdom of David. That's the kingdom of God now all over the whole earth. We can take every one of those nine things and expand on them. But what I want you to see this morning as I close this is the very last one. Everybody say the sure mercies. Sure mercies of David. You, 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 your sons are going to come to the throne, David, and, and they're going to make mistakes. They're going to blow it. They're going to make bad choices. But I'm telling you, because I've made a covenant with you and you've found favor in my sight, I'm going to extend the promise to your whole line, your lineage, your house, your family, your children. Come on, somebody in here, you're believing for some children to be saved. Because you're walking with God, you can claim that and stand on the word of God because of the sure mercies of David that God will save your children and your house. God promises David, he says, you know what, they're going to blow it and I'm always going to be there for them. I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to correct them. I'm going to chastise them until they see how much I love them and they make their way back. Now, folks, I want to tell you this morning, this thing, beautiful thing about the new covenant is that when God sets his love upon you, he doesn't take it back. He's crazy about you. And he loves everybody in this room. And I don't know what kind of struggle you have right now that maybe nobody else in the room knows about. Maybe it's something so dreadful that you're afraid if somebody found out about it that you would literally be alienated from everybody else. Maybe it's not something that you're even struggling with now, but a decision you made 20 years ago. Maybe it's something that you've gone before God and cried out and said, God, forgive me, and you know that He has, but you can't forget it. Even though you know God has forgotten it. It's still right there in front of you, just eating away at you, condemning and dragging you down with shame and guilt that is not from God your Father. And I want to tell you, because of the sure mercies of David, God says, I love you so much that I'm going to love you hard. I'm going to love you when you think I've given up on you. I'm going to chase you down. I'm going to love you and I'm going to pursue you. And I'm going to show you how to get back in the way and on the path and how to walk with me and how to understand relationship and how to understand my blessings that I have poured out upon you. That's the love of God. That's the sure mercies of David. That's, that's not, oh, I, I blew it today, so I probably lost my salvation. I need to go get saved again. Oh, hogwash. If that's all you got when you got, you didn't get anything. You didn't get eternal life. You got temporary life. Come on, get down there and get you a good dose of it. Put your trust in God. Stand on, stand on your faith and believe that Jesus said he would do what he would do because his promises are true. His word cannot fail. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will not pass away. His mercies are sure. His love is unfailing. It is indescribable. He loves us so much that he told his disciples at his departure, he said, I am with you to the very end of the world. And he said, I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. Five negatives in the Greek. Literally, I will never, it's not possible, I will not forsake you. I will not turn my back on you. I won't forget about you. I won't get so ticked off at you that I'm aggravated and say, I don't want any more. I'm not going to wash my hands of you. My love for you won't ever run out. Somebody in this room needs to hear that this morning because that promise God made to David a thousand years before Jesus 
now is summed up and subsumed. It's absorbed into and made bigger and increased because it's not just to a Jewish man, but it's to a black and a red and a yellow and a white and a Gentile dog and a heathen who has no way whatsoever to ever claim he has any right to come before the presence of God. And that's what I was, a Gentile dog. But I'm thankful that God looked on me and he loved me. And he said, I love you so much. My love will never run out. I'm not going to give up on you. Are you hearing me this morning? Somebody in this room needs to hear that. I want you, if you would, let's find a place of prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed.